Listener Production. Hello, welcome back to the first briefing of 2022. Tom Tilly with you, joined by Jan Fran. And Jan, hasn't it been just a wonderful, peaceful, relaxing summer? (laughs) You know, I was really hoping that I would come back a little bit more relaxed, but I'm not. I wonder why. (laughs) I wonder what's going on. Anything happened in your life, Tom? What a messed up, horrific time it's been. Like to think back, December 10, say a month ago, you and I were wrapping up for the year There were Mm. 1,700 cases around the country and we thought they might go up. We'd heard about Omicron, done a few episodes, but whoa, here we are now pushing over 100,000 daily cases. Around half a million Australians currently have COVID and it's just been chaos. I mean, you are one of the people that got COVID too. So I got it, members of my family got it, my partner, my four-month-old baby got it as well. So it's been um, really full on. We actually had to tank him to hospital. We spent three nights in a children's hospital. Um, everything's fine, but we got a sense of how hard the nurses are working and how stretched they are. Mm. It's it's a really grim scene inside the hospitals for those those healthcare workers. Yeah, I have fortunately managed to avoid it, but that's because I've been very careful, not really going anywhere, not going to any indoor venues, trying to avoid all shopping centres and supermarkets for sure. So, you know, I'm just crossing my fingers and my butt cheeks, mate. That's <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. Keep but them you know clenched. What? Yeah, they've been clenched. They're still clenched. I have so many questions about this, and I know that so many of our listeners do too, and that's why we've got infectious disease expert Dr. Paul Griffin here to answer all of your questions that you've submitted to us. We did reach out to you. Any questions, shoot them our way. You did. A few of you have submitted questions, and we're going to get to them in a moment. All right, first, let's get into today's headlines. The showdown between Novak Djokovic and the federal government will happen in the federal court today. So Home Affairs Minister Karen Andrews has tried to delay this hearing by two days. It was unsuccessful, though. Yeah, I think a lot of people would have preferred the showdown to be on the tennis court, but here we are watching it in court. It's actually going to be streamed so everyone can see this. What's going to be a fascinating um, hearing today Djokovic's legal team made a 35-page submission on Saturday laying out the key details of their case. Yeah, now News Limited is reporting uh, that Tennis Australia actually begged the Department of Home Affairs to check the visa paperwork that Djokovic had submitted before he boarded the plane. And they say that this is a move that could have prevented this entire visa debacle. The request, however was refused by department officials. And yesterday in a leaked video from Tennis Australia CEO Craig Tiley, he promised, and sort of quite an ominous sounding warning, promised to tell the full story once the legal proceedings were over. There's a lot of finger pointing going on and a lot of blaming going on, but I can show you our team has done an unbelievable job and have done everything they possibly could according to all the instructions that they have been provided. So a very tense situation. And you can see from some of the correspondence, Jan, that uh, Tennis Australia really tried to do everything to understand this complex system and the way that this process was going to work, you know, given the various authorities involved, federal and state. Yeah. And if you hear what Tennis Australia officials have been saying publicly, there does seem to be a lot more to what's going on that we are just not privy to. I will say it's a very interesting timing for Scott Morrison. This has been a very big story. It seems to be the the one thing that people are talking about because, of course, the Australian Open kicks off in one week. Um, he has been under tremendous pressure in the last week over 
rapid antigen tests and not making them free, about the health crisis that's unfolding here in Australia, this is a welcome distraction for him, I will say. Yeah, look, I'm also very suspicious that this was a, a political move by the Morrison government because the day before Djokovic landed, Scott Morrison said his exemption was a matter for the Victorian authorities. Then all of a sudden, the next morning, Australian Border Force, which is actually an agency Scott Morrison created with Tony Abbott in 2014, are up in Djokovic's grill. Does raise a few eyebrows, doesn't it? Yeah, and this argument that, oh, rules are rules, no special treatment. I mean, that's rubbish. We've been um, making special rules for the AFL, the NRL with the players' bubbles. Um, lots of celebrities have come in and been able to quarantine in, in fancy houses and resorts. Uh, it just doesn't seem to make sense. And to say that, well, lots of ordinary people have suffered at the hands of these rules. Well, two wrongs don't make a right. Like a lot of those cases weren't right either. So why punish someone else? And yeah, I'm a bit fired up about this one, actually. Um, you are a bit fired up, more yeah, well, so than I thought you might be. Yeah, well, it's it's going to be really damaging for the Australian Open. This is like, we're so lucky to have one of the four Grand Slams. It's New York, Paris, London, Melbourne. And this will be a massive blow. Djokovic has won it nine times. For him not to be able to play when him, Nadal and Federer are all on 20 Grand Slams each at the moment, it's a really devastating sort of end to the relationship potentially between Djokovic and the Australian Open because it's been a very good one. Mm, I'm going to speculate wildly and say this is exactly what the Prime Minister wants us to do, to sit here and get fired up about Novak Djokovic <laughs> and forget about his bungling of rapid antigen testing. I refuse, sir. Well, the federal government's now urging Australians to stock up on painkillers as the Omicron variant spreads around the country. Paracetamol or ibuprofen can be used to manage fever and aches and pains, but important to be prepared because you won't be able to go to your supermarket or pharmacy if you are diagnosed with COVID-19. That was Deputy Chief Medical Officer Michael Kidd there. What could go wrong? Asking Australians to stock up on painkillers. Uh, there were close to 100,000 new infections recorded across the country yesterday. Honestly, a month ago, I never thought that I would be saying that statistic out loud to you. Uh, new South Wales sadly recorded its deadliest day. It's a very difficult day for our state. Uh, over the last 24 hours, we've had 16 people uh, who have died uh, from the virus. The New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet there, um, he's come under a lot of criticism for, I guess, letting the numbers get to this point in New South Wales. Interesting, you know, this encouragement to buy painkillers, like so many other items in our supermarkets at the moment um, have been panic bought as well. So sounds like that will be happening with painkillers as well. It might be better actually just to wait for the people that need them to get them. And children aged 5 to 11 years old will be eligible for the Pfizer vaccine from today with the Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, assuring us that there is plenty of supply. Over the course of January, 3 million doses available for children and uh, that is for a population of 2.3 million, so more than enough for every single child in Australia. Logistical issues could mean getting those 3 million doses into arms in time for the school year won't happen. Queensland definitely thinks so. Uh, the Premier, Anastasia Palaszczuk, pushed back the school term by two weeks yesterday. So it's going to be moved from January 24 to February 7. Yeah, New South Wales is continuing to hold the line on their back-to-school date, though. Um, this is despite parents and carers saying that they're facing some difficulties in getting vaccine appointments. 
And major retailers are reporting staff shortages of up to 35% uh, in the wake of the Omicron crisis. Shelves are empty as supermarket staff are forced to isolate and supply chains are crippled by truck and delivery drivers also having to stay at home. Yeah, I don't know if you've been to a supermarket recently, Tom. I've been trying to avoid them, but friends and family tell me that every supermarket they go to, meat, fruit, veggie shells are empty and that seems to be happening right across the country. This is because more than a third of retail workers are off sick with COVID or they've been classified as close contacts, so they've had to isolate. So this is being caused by major staff shortages. Yeah, this is hitting a lot of industries, including the hospitality industry. It's ended up with thousands upon thousands of hospitality businesses that have been forced to close over this lucrative holiday period. That's Wes Lambert, CEO of Restaurant and Catering Australia. And to Queensland, where the search is continuing for a 14-year-old girl who went missing in floodwaters near the Burnett Highway at Boobijan near Gympie early on Saturday morning. We have very grave fears for this young lady. This is a very, very difficult environment. We are unable to get in there and conduct that search appropriately at the moment. It's going to take some time for us to do that. Deputy Commissioner Steve Golchevsky there. The 14-year-old girl was travelling in a car that was swept away by floodwaters. The driver, a man, was later found clinging to a tree, but the girl's still missing. Yeah, sadly, another man died in his car on Friday night. This was after his vehicle was submerged in Canagan. Um, hopefully, hopefully the worst is over, though. Overnight, the flood peaked at Maryborough at 9.9 metres. Some tragic stories there coming out of those Queensland floods. Um, good to hear the floodwaters um, seem to have peaked, though. Um, it's time to get into our briefing now. Dr. Paul Griffin is going to join us uh, as we put your questions to him all about what's happening with Omicron. Dr. Paul Griffin is an infectious disease physician and microbiologist at Brisbane's MARTA Hospital. He joins us now to answer all of your questions. Paul, just a quick question to you first. How are you feeling in Queensland with these COVID numbers? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we knew that cases would come when our borders opened, but I don't think we quite predicted what we're seeing now in terms of such a large increase quite so quickly. So, you know, I think uh, we need to, to make sure we understand the significance of that and take some simple steps to try and reduce some transmission. But I also think we need to make sure we don't be too alarmist by this situation, just make sure we're as prepared as possible moving forward. I love that. That's a good be alert, not alarmed type answer, I think we're all trying to be in that position as well. Definitely our listeners are as well. They've sent through a couple of questions for you. We've got one. This is a question from Carly. My question is, if we catch the Omicron strain of COVID, are our chances of getting long COVID less or the same as the earlier strains? That was from Carly. Look, that's a great question. And I guess the simple answer there is we don't know yet. Of course, Omicron's still relatively new. So good data on long COVID is still really yet to be put together. I mean, it's really clear that Omicron causes less severe disease than previous variants, which is, of course, good. Unfortunately, in very high numbers, that still means we'll see some people who do get sick from this do need to go to hospital. And I'm sure we will see some long COVID arising from this. But as I say, we don't have good figures on that yet. And of course, the the best way of reducing the chance of that, as well as all the other manifestations of this virus, is to make sure you're vaccinated, particularly with that booster dose as soon as you can. So, Dr. Paul, speaking of long COVID, can you explain a bit more about it for us? 
Yeah, sure. So we actually, it's not a particularly new phenomenon in terms of infectious diseases. There are lots of infections, both viral and bacterial infections that can cause syndromes, particularly of fatigue and other things that can last many months after the infection. We all know people who had glandular fever and had some kind of fatigue syndrome for a long time, for example. So it's not a particularly new concept, but it does seem particularly prevalent with COVID that some people can just have manifestations, particularly things like fatigue or aches and pains. There have been headaches described, things like brain fog as well, that can last many months after being infected. So while we focus, of course, so much on intensive care numbers and hospitalisation numbers, there are other manifestations of this virus that are very significant and, again, worthy of being prevented. And that's why we want to get as many people vaccinated as possible, because that prevents all of these sort of consequences. All right, our next question comes from Mel in Melbourne. I'm getting married on the 1st of April. It feels like so far this year, me and my fiancé are the only people we know who haven't got the virus because we've been inside and I half wonder whether I should be almost trying to get it because then it'll make me immune prior to the wedding. Is this a ridiculous thought or is it actually something I should consider so it doesn't ruin the day? Yeah, it's a good question. First of all, congratulations and I hope it all goes smoothly. There's a lot of people that are asking that question at the moment because you do get some protection from being infected. So chances of getting it again are reduced. But of course, the best way of getting protected is to do that by not risking getting the symptoms of COVID. And the way we can do that is to get vaccinated. So at this stage, and it relates to other questions we've had about long COVID and those sorts of things, is we're not going to encourage people to go and get infected deliberately. The best way of preventing getting this infection is to get vaccinated and to have your booster. And then you get protected without having to run the risk of the severe consequences of the infection itself. So I certainly wouldn't encourage anyone to go out and get infected and to make sure that you you get your vaccine so that you're protected and reduce your chance of getting it around the time of that important event. Dr Griffin, are you any more protected if you've been triple vaccinated and then you get COVID? Are you more protected then than if you didn't get COVID? and were triple vaxxed? Yes, in fact, that's very true. And so that infection acts as another booster in in many ways. And and getting infected after you're triple vaccinated very significantly reduces your chances of getting any of those severe consequences of the infection. So most people who are triple vaccinated and get this infection have few to no symptoms, in fact, and are much less likely to end up needing to go to hospital, needing intensive care, et cetera. So yes, people that get infected after those three doses uh, will get some additional protection. Okay, I can really see where Mel's coming from. I've been having those conversations myself with friends who say, I want to get my booster shot and then I want to get COVID and hopefully not get it again for a really important event that I have somewhere down the track. So I can definitely see where you're coming from, Mel, asking that question. The next question is from Laura. My husband and I got tested at the same time. He's came back negative just over 24 hours later. I had to wait four days for mine. People who were testing a day or two after us were getting back positive results within four hours. Just want to know more about the process and why people are waiting so long to find out they're positive. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, our pathology laboratories have been a huge part of our success with this pandemic to this point in time. We've been really fortunate to have widespread access to really reliable and and relatively rapid laboratory-based testing up until recently. But what's really clear is our laboratory capacity has well and truly been exceeded. And so what that then means is that 
usual processes have not worked out exactly as we'd like. And, and that has meant that our turnaround times have increased and sometimes people are getting results seemingly out of order. And it's based on so many things in terms of the workflow and the laboratories and, and just those usual processes being well and truly exceeded in terms of their capacity. I think the rational use of testing that we're now seeing should hopefully mean we get back to having a, some more meaningful results come from those laboratories. And of course, relying on, on rapid antigen testing to reduce the burden on those laboratories will certainly help as well. So things weren't really functioning normally, given the, the really excessive demands on the laboratories. And of course, they were also impacted by many of their staff being off uh, with the virus, as well as being close contact. So there were significant uh, workforce shortages in the context of that excessive demand. So there was a few reasons why it didn't quite work according to plan there for a short period of time. Okay, our next question is from listener Alex. Now, Alex has concerns about her grandparents. Just a quick question about the new variant. I know that some data shows that it's a lot milder in younger people, but is there anything at the moment in regards to elderly people? My elderly grandparents have had three vaccinations uh, for COVID. Will that assist or are elderly people still really highly at risk because of this one? Yeah, great question. And the simple answer in terms of will they be protected from three doses? Well, absolutely. We know three doses of these vaccines takes our protection right back up to where we saw two doses against previous variants and very significantly the chance reduces the chance of people getting unwell, needing to go to hospital, having to, to go to intensive care and worse. So yes, absolutely. The three doses will work really well against this variant. And we do know that relatively speaking, Omicron is less severe than the previous variants, but that doesn't mean it doesn't cause severe disease in some, so it's worthwhile being protected. And we also know that people with risk factors are more likely to progress to the more severe consequences. And that does include age, as well as a lot of medical problems or comorbidities that can also increase that risk. So that's why we really do need as many people protected by vaccination as possible. And we're also going to try and do some other simple things to reduce how much transmission is out there. And I'd encourage people who might be higher risk due to either medical problems or age or comorbidities or, or what have you, to maybe just be a little bit more aware of their risk and take some additional steps, avoid crowded indoor spaces, for example, be really diligent with your mask and maybe when access is improved, do some regular rapid antigen testing so you know early if you have symptoms or, or if you're positive. So, you know, I think if we can take some additional steps in those higher risk people, but without overreacting or panicking or being too scared, then we can go a, a little bit to, of an extra way to protect them. Okay, Alex, I hope that answers your question. I hope that you feel a little bit better hearing that, knowing that your grandparents at least have three vaccinations. Our next question is about another group of vulnerable people. It comes from our listener, Whitney. I would love to know the impact of um, the Omicron variant of COVID on pregnant women and if there's any impact on their babies. Well, this is a really important point because like a, a lot of viral infections and like previous variants, being pregnant does actually increase your risk of bad outcomes with this variant. Now, when I say increase, it's relatively speaking. And of course, with Omicron, we don't tend to see too many people progress to severe disease, which is good. But people who are pregnant are more likely to. And unfortunately, there can be some negative implications on the baby as well in terms of things like preterm labour and inflammation of the placenta and, and other things. So, now, we really want to make sure that group understands that they are at slightly increased risk and take some simple steps to protect themselves and their baby. And of course, by that, I mean, be vaccinated. And, you know, I know about a year ago when the vaccines were first coming out and we were asked about 
giving them in pregnancy. And we had to say at that point in time, look, it's a bit early. We don't have the data yet. Just hold off. But all that data came through in the first half of last year. We're very confident of the safety and efficacy of these vaccines in pregnancy. And we really want people to, to do what they do with the pertussis or whooping cough vaccine and the flu vaccine and make every effort to get vaccinated in pregnancy to protect the mum as well as the baby. And in my practice right now, I'm regularly seeing unvaccinated pregnant women who need to come to hospital with uh, manifestations or symptoms of this infection. So it's a really important group to make sure they're protected as well. And does COVID have any more or any less of an impact on pregnant women and their babies, depending how far along in the pregnancy you are? Or is it all the same? It can be a bit variable based on a number of things. And, and as I say, fortunately, most women won't get too sick if they do get this virus in pregnancy, but it does increase the risk. And we are seeing pregnant women, unfortunately, needing to go to hospital because they're having issues with the amount of oxygen they're getting in and, and breathing and other problems. And so we do definitely want to make sure as many women in pregnancy are protected as possible. So I guess my question is, are you any more or any less likely to sort of suffer particular or adverse effects of COVID if you're well through your pregnancy, like seven, eight, almost about to give birth compared to someone who might be in month three? It's basically pretty similar. So there's mm. there's no time period in the pregnancy where you're you know more likely or less likely to to have uh, consequences from the infection. It's basically increased from from relatively early in the pregnancy all the way through to to delivery. And as I say, in my practice, we've had to induce labour early in some women just this week because they had significant consequences of this infection. And we've had a number go to intensive care. We've had to use novel therapies to try and treat these women. So you know it really is important to get vaccinated in pregnancy. Dr Griffin, if there was one thing that you could leave our audience with, what would you like Australians to take away from the events of the last month or so? Look, I think it's been really challenging. The messaging has changed so much and, and, you know, even at the moment on a daily basis, there's a lot of contradictory messaging. I think it's about getting the perspective right and the balance right. So we certainly need to respect Omicron. We need to know it's very transmissible and, and take some simple steps to address that. But I also think we need to not propagate fear and, and make people afraid of leaving their homes and, and trying to get on with a, a normal life to a degree. And, and in doing that, I think the way we can help is try and make sure people understand the risks to a degree and take some simple steps to address those. And, you know, we know that with Omicron and every variant, the highest risk is still prolonged indoor close contact, particularly with large numbers of people you don't know. And so maybe avoiding some of those situations, preferentially gathering outside if you, you do need to catch up with a group, maybe considering working from home if it doesn't impact your ability to do your job, wear a mask whenever you can, of course, get vaccinated, and then maybe you know do all those things. But we also don't want the fear to, to be something that spreads faster than the virus. And there's, there's a lot of that out there at the moment. So as I say, I just hope people get some balance and perspective back so that we can move forward, but just know that we have to take some simple steps to protect ourselves while this virus surges in our country. That was Dr Paul Griffin, an infectious disease expert from Brisbane's Marta Hospital. I hope that's answered your questions, guys. Well, it might have calmed a few people down, Jan. I mean, he, he really made a valiant effort there, I think, to try and keep us on the vaccine message and to calm all the fears, mm. but I don't think that's going to match with what a lot of people are feeling right now as they, you know, see their supermarket shelves empty, they see our testing system almost broken and almost everyone they know, if not themselves, getting COVID. Tomorrow on The Briefing, inside our hospitals as they cope with the Omicron wave.
Kirschner.